Hello, and welcome to The Staffing Show, the only podcast that delivers tools, tips, and tactics from the staffing and recruiting industry's top executives and thought leaders. This episode is brought to you by Staffing Referrals, the only automated referral management platform chosen by smart staffing firms. Tired of wasting money on traditional job boards? Sick of reminding recruiters about promoting your referral program? Wish you could eliminate admin work spent tracking referrals and scheduling interviews? That's where Staffing Referrals comes in. Imagine transforming your entire talent pool into digital recruiters on behalf of your company. Think about how happy you'll make your team by eliminating wasted time spent tracking referrals and scheduling interviews. There's a reason that Staffing Referrals is one of the fastest growing software platforms in our industry. It's because staffing executives want to scale faster by automating recruiting processes. It's because with Staffing Referrals, you can actually see an ROI. And it's because our world is now more digital than ever and your candidates expect you to keep up. Don't get passed by the competition. Stop missing referrals and start recruiting smarter. Get staffing referrals and improve your tech stack today. To claim one free month, visit www.staffingreferrals.com show. That's staffingreferrals.com show. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of The Staffing Show. I am super excited to be joined today by Aaron Elder, who is the CEO and co-founder of Crelate. Aaron, to kick things off, why don't you tell us a little background on yourself and how you ended up in the staffing industry? Cool. Thanks, David. Uh, pleasure to be here and thanks for having me. My background in the staffing industry, probably like many, is I didn't intend to fall into this industry. I am a visual arts major who dropped out of college and taught myself how to code back when the web was taking off and co-founded a startup that got sold to Microsoft and became the lead application architect for Microsoft CRM and then left Microsoft and started a consulting company implementing Microsoft CRM. And most consulting companies are kind of like staffing companies and we grew very quickly and we're constantly hiring. And ultimately, when I sold that business, I wanted to get back into this industry that I kind of love. I love helping people. And this industry is all about people. And that's sort of how I got here. <laughs> I don't know yeah. if that makes any sense, but that's that's me. Yeah, no, that's great. And I, and I know, I mean, one, you, the cool story that you dropped out of college, learned how to code, and then sold the company to Microsoft. And I think you mentioned in one of our other conversations, you also had an exit to Accenture. Is that accurate? Yeah, so our, our consulting company got sold to a joint venture between Accenture and Microsoft called Avanade, and then a portion of it got sold to Accenture Federal. One other note that I just remember from the conversation we had is that you also had a big proponent of good user experience. And I remember you mentioning some stat about the user experience that you created in it compared to Salesforce at a trade show. Yeah, I can't remember what it was, but like we had one best in show or best new product at like Internet World 2000 or 99. And and Salesforce was there. One of those teams got turned into an Apple hire. The other one went off to be worth billions. I'll let you guess which one one was which. (laughs) Funny story, though, because my background in visual arts and then coding and the web itself was a very visual world, right? And I remember when I got to Microsoft, they said, well, what do you want to do here? I'm like, oh, I want to design the UI and be like the lead architect. And literally one of the product managers in the room had like laughed out loud because it was absurd that a dev would work on the user experience, right? But fast forward, the first UI of Microsoft CRM and the first couple of versions were my design um, and I befriended a UX team and and that's where it was. <laughs> and I coded it. So 
that's a pretty incredible background and really cool that you have that that experience. And also just to think that you built the Microsoft CRM or a big part of it. That's quite a background. So why don't you tell me a little bit more about kind of what is Prelate and how you guys are kind of approaching the staffing market? I think the way we're approaching the stuff in market, I would probably say is intentional. So after selling to Avanade, I really wanted to go do another product company. And I literally sort of, it could have been anything, right? It, it could have been another social network or just, I mean, I had this idea for a, for a wine app where you could like take a picture of a bottle of wine and it would OCR it. So it would tell you what the bottle of wine was. And then you could share your experience of that wine with others. Like it'd be like a social sharing network around data of your data. Anyway, so like it could have been anything. But after looking at the landscape, I, I sort of identified a need that I had experienced myself in prior businesses is that if you're primary business is talent, you need to bring several business processes together over and over again forever. <laughs> You've got to go find opportunities, get those opportunities, stuff for people to do. You got to go find people, whether they already work for you or they're out in the world, and then you got to get them productive. And you got to get those stars to align over and over again forever. And there really aren't a lot of good solutions for it. When we started our consulting company, you know, we had like a, an ATS and we had a CRM and a whole bunch of spreadsheets and people in the middle. When we merged with a larger one, same thing. They had like written their own for part of it, but the rest was other processes. When we got to Accenture and Accenture Federal and Avanade, same thing. It was just more people and more spreadsheets. And I'm like, there's got to be a better way to do this. And so the sort of the grand idea was a recruiting CRM, which 10 years ago was a term people didn't really use. And, and that's what it was, right? So, so it was really an intentional platform for this industry, for businesses whose primary business is talent. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And also, I think part of the background that I remember you talking about as well was you kind of built this dev community at one point and had a boot camp. Are you using any of the learnings or maybe you can just share a little bit about what that was and why you built a, a dev community and boot camp? I think that's pretty interesting for the audience too. When I left to start the consulting company or to join a consulting company, my co-founders and I had this problem that like there weren't enough Microsoft CRM consultants in the world. Right, there just weren't enough of them because it was a new product, and we were pushing it up market. And we do the usual thing where we're like looking around, like, well, what's a related skill set? Okay, let's go find an SAP developer or a Pivotal developer or an Onyx developer, some old platform, and teach them a new skill. At some point in time, that sort of gets saturated, and then you start saying, well, where else are we going to get people? And and we decided to invest heavily in our own internal boot camp, and it was two week boot camp that included a bunch of instructor led presentations. And then turned into, you know, it also had like a live coding portions and, and live exercises, et cetera. And this bootcamp became quite popular for us to be able to take people from all walks of life. I mean, I'm talking bricklayers and baristas and moms <laughs> returning to the workforce, like whatever it is, and teach them a new skill. And on the other side, fast forward a couple of years, we've got more certified steering developers than anybody, you know, to keep up with demand. It was kind of the lost art of the internal training programs, you know, sort of yeah. hearkening back to the 50s and 60s and 70s, right? When when people actually did that, right? You, you invest in people and everyone can benefit. So you basically had an internal coding bootcamp or coding school, similar to what people it, are going and paying for, but you'd actually built one of those internally to fill your own we Man. built it internally, right? And we were paying when we do it. And, and then to follow on with that, I would like to think, maybe it wasn't perfect for everybody, but we did our best to create a culture on the other side of it that embraced people that were learning, right? It was okay to ask questions, right? And I used to tell devs or, or you know, consultants, like, listen, we're going to find out if you know 
<laughs> one way or the other. It would be way better. <laughs> yeah. so tell, you, tell us up front. Yeah, tell us up front, right? Like tell us now when we still have budget left on this project to teach you and, and to do. And so we really try to create a culture of learning and and fast fail and fail forward. And, and you know, we're sort of focused on the results and we'll get there. And because of that, they were able to take the boot camp, but then also learn on the job, truly learn on the job, right? If that makes sense. Yeah, no, that does make sense. And I, I think that's a pretty incredible story to tell in terms of how you got and built up your the team. Did you ever look at what the you know cost to get people into upskilled, upskilled to where you needed them compared to what it was to go to market? Because I feel like this is uh we still have this huge lack of supply of quality talent. And I know a lot of staffing agencies are looking at how do I fill fill this void? Is there a path forward where you think staffing agencies could be doing boot camps like this and have a financial model that works or I think so. And I've heard of some industries that do this, like in, in like the welding industries and a few other places. Like I it's not something you want to half ass and it's not something that you should expect quick returns on, I think is a problem. And you know, there, there's that that meme on LinkedIn where it's like, you know, the CFO is like, well, what if we invest in these people and they leave? And the CEO is <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. and the CEO is like, well, yeah, what if we don't? Yes. Right. And I think it's exactly what if like they don't that. and they stay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> what if yeah. they don't and they stay? Or we can't hire them to begin with. And so I'm one of these guys who's like the pie can always be bigger kind of person. And so if you can just put positive energy out there, it'll all work out in the end. So believe in it, believe in it in the program. Because the other aspect of it is, is I would like to think that you're actually sort of, you're earning loyalty, if you will, right? Loyalty is not just given. And if it is, it's it's fake. I mean, like you took time and invest in these people, right? And and some of them had, yeah, I mean, like, and so you got to pair it with a path to promotion. In fact, like one of the things that that I'm always like, what I keep, you know, worry about is like, am I growing fast enough to keep good people that are going through this program, right? Like, because I got to keep the business bigger to give these great people opportunities to move up, right? And so get them in, invest in the program, give them past to grow and you'll probably be rewarded and it'll be a win-win for everybody. I absolutely love that model. I mean, I think that's really cool that, that you built that out. So jumping a little bit back, but why don't you tell me just a little bit about kind of the size of Creolay, what your growth trajectory looks like, where you guys currently stand. Right. And, and actually, maybe I should throw a quick little plug. I don't know if people know what Creolay does real fast. So, so we're, a, we're an applicant tracking system and a CRM system and a delivery system all built in one. I want to be a, a talent platform for talent businesses. Right. So if your primary business is talent, you're a staffing company, recruiting company, et cetera, we'd be your primary system of record for, for those core things. And that was a grand idea, right? 10 years ago. Fast forward to today, we got about 1,800 customers, mostly US based. We're at about 65 employees. We're growing you know, north of 50% a year. And that's the path we're on. We just did a, a Series B to continue our growth from our existing investors. And yeah. That's what we're doing. That, that's that's great, and uh, sounds like you got a, a good. I mean, eighteen hundred customers is pretty significant, and also you got a good growth trajectory with the fifty percent year over year. And that's got to be on the the upwards end for ATS, as I imagine right now. So, from your perspective, you talked a little bit about you know Creolate and what you guys do, but how are you different than other ATSs, or what makes Creolate unique? Probably a few things. I would like to think that my grand vision is maybe a little bit bigger than the you know recruiting firm that hired a dev and, you know, built for recruiters by recruiters sort of, you know, things. And yeah. those are, those are fine tools, but building an ATS is not easy. It's, it's a lot. There's so much functionality that is minimum expectations, just table stakes, right? In the industry, you got to go build. And so I think this idea that we're not just an ATS, we're actually a platform is very different than other things. We tend to build things the hard way. If you want to build an onboarding process, we wouldn't just create a new table and add a bunch of checkboxes and call it an onboarding, right? We're like, oh, onboarding sounds like a generic business process. 
And that generic business process probably has owners and assignments of synchronous and asynchronous you know, tasks that needs to happen. And those tasks will then produce artifacts that are evidence of the thing that happens. And those artifacts could be verified by someone through a whole business rule process, right? And so we build a generic process engine to go build our onboarding feature on top of. Now, that took a long time, but now once you do that, we now have an, a process engine that could be used for offboarding or for multiple onboardings or different kinds of, of processes you want to run inside your company. And we take that same lens and apply it to all these different things. And so I kind of want to be like the sales force of talent, right? Like actual talent platform for talent businesses, one that's going to grow with you over time as your business changes. Because our customers are, they're super flexible because they, I think they're so close to the economy, right? In how they react to whatever talent is doing. You need to be on a platform that's also flexible and going to react with you as well. So that's why one big way that I think we're different. Yeah. And, and with that, it sounds like you're kind of building out like a component based where people can build their own workflows or configure it to match their exact business process versus the here's how you do it. And here's the process. It's more of a like, we're going to allow you to build it to match your unique needs. Is that Absolutely. I mean, we have we have yeah. a, pl- a platform first mindset. I, I need to provide a, a box of Legos, right? Now I got to also provide instructions to make it easy enough to use, <laughs> right? For the average user in a time, as your unique business, your unique niche, your unique set of customers pushes the boundaries of that. I want to be able to say yes, right? You know, yes with an if, no with a but <laughs> during during the sales conversation. So I think that's one big difference. I think the second big difference is is I want to get big. I, I want to be big enough to matter and have an impact, and that's. It sounds obvious, but it's a very big differentiator maybe between other companies. There's just a lot of other products in general. Like most startups, you know, fail. You probably heard that statistic. Like yeah, 95% yeah. of startups fail, right? Yeah. But what you don't hear is that 95% never get big, right? Like after they, <laughs> yeah. they yeah. right? And so they get up to, you know, 5 million bucks, 2 million bucks, et cetera. And it just sort of like converts into like a lifestyle company. Investment slows, churn picks up, innovation drags. They can't raise money. Right, like I want to be big enough to actually matter to actually impact people's lives with a with a platform that you know does this, and so we're on this long term journey to do that, and that's been very intentional from day one. We're you know we're not perfect, you know we're right out of the gate, but we're always listening and we're always getting better year after year after year after year. We're, we're always getting better. With that, what is big for you? What is the like three to five year outlook? Where do you see what does Create look like three to five years from now? Well, I, I mean, I think I think it's a continuation on that journey. I mean, we're, right now we're working on the next iteration of, of our open API of our marketplace. It's funny. I, I think we have like thirty official integration partners, but we probably are over fifty or sixty unofficial integration partners. People who are just building on the open API that I don't even know about. Like, it's almost every week that I hear about someone else who built on us. I'm like, I don't even heard of that company, right? <laughs> and customers are using us with them together. So I would like to see us. Yeah, I mean, be, be that platform for more businesses and. One thing that we measure success in at the company is not just revenue. It's the number of placements that our customers do on the platform. I, I love when people are actually, when you're looking at what's the, what is the goal of our customers and tying that back to the goal of your software. I think it's, it's unique and that's great. And so to answer your question, in, in five years, I mean, maybe we're doing a million you know, a year on the platform. That, that'd be nice. A million placements a year? Yeah. Yeah. And so you're helping, helping a million people get a job a year through your platform. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I love uh-huh. that. That's great. So jumping in a little bit more specifics, do you have any kind of unique use cases, case studies, or any kind of customer examples in terms of how people are using your platform in different ways or any, any stories on, along those lines that you'd want to share? 
probably a bunch. I mean, I, mean, yeah, I, mean, I, I guess there's a question of like, what can you share <laughs> with it? Well, you know, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's different ways that the platform can be used. I mean, they're, they're all in and around talent because when, when, when you ask that question, my mind instantly went, went to my past where we were selling Microsoft CRM. We, we coined the term XRM and we were yep. selling Microsoft CRM to do all kinds of things, right? We were doing land management and patient management and just anything, everything. Correlate is, is pretty talent centric in its mission. I think one story that I really like I mean, is a customer. Her name is Dee Williams. She started teaching people to be recruiters at her church. And so we work with her to get a special offering for new recruiting firms that get start, started up. And so she's got a bunch of people on the platform that came from all kinds of backgrounds with all kinds of adversity in those backgrounds and have given them a path to prosperity. And I'm really glad to be a part of that. I've, I've heard some amazing success stories from that. So I mean, that, that's one of my favorite stories. That's great. Right. I so, love that. And then my, my, my other stories, I, I won't drop names, but we've got a number of customers that started with us a couple of years ago as, you know, a couple seat deals. And now they're some of our biggest customers because when, when you understand a business and you got the grit and you know, you know, you, right, you got a process, you can grow, right? And I'm, and I'm so glad that we were able to be accessible, right, and approachable on the small to get them in the door and then to scale with them as they grew, right? And so those stories... I love. Yeah. And then it sounds like you're building to meet their needs as well. So you're, yeah, you know, listening to the customer on an ongoing basis saying, Hey, here's what, what do you need next? And how do we build this out? So you have the configurable process to do this. Right. And then our job is to take all that because yeah. I'll, I'll actually throw out one little anecdote. If you just listen to every single customer and what they ask for, you're going to build a big pile of like crapware. Right? <laughs> yeah. right? yes. so if yes. you have two customers, they, you know, one customer wants a button blue, one wants it red. And if you make it purple, everyone's angry. Right. And so you have to sort of listen to what they're saying and then turn that into this engine and these, these set of Legos that can satisfy those needs. Yeah, I don't know if this is uh, the makes sense, but when I think about that building a big pile of things that are hard to use, Zoom settings feels like every big customer that's asked them for a setting in Zoom, they've just said <laughs> yes to. Because I go in there and I'm like, wait a second, what are you guys, what's going on here? <laughs> so. Yeah, it, it's a journey. Uh, I'll say that. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. right? you're, you're reacting and then you got to go back and rethink it. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's a journey. Another concept that I've heard you talk about this idea of transferable velocity. I know we've talked about it a little bit. It sounds like you, you know, with your boot camp, et cetera, that kind of fits into that. But could you speak a little bit more to that concept and what that means to you? I think this is probably me on my soapbox trying to bring back corporate training and corporate investment in people and to maybe give business leaders a way to believe in it if you will, a little bit, right? And so wh where am I going with that? Let's assume you want to you know, create this program and you're going to invest in it, but like who are going to be people, and, and, and more importantly, create this environment of learning on the other side, right? For the people to land, who are going to be the best candidates to enter into that, right? And so if you're trying to evaluate, can someone switch careers, right? You have to sort of look at their life agnostic of the career itself, and so then if you sort of draw like dot points of their career, right? So like, let's say, you know, random job, random job, better random job, better random job out of the workforce as a mom, right? For, for a while, trying to get back in, right? And if you plot those sort of that career directory that they were on and you saw this upward slope, and then as you talk about their experience, you know, being a mom, let's say, and they just freaking crushed it, right? Like they're just like on top of it, they're doing this, or this, or this, right? Like, like you just sense that's a clear, natural path, right? Because it's not be easy being a mom. That if you draw a line from those data points, you can clearly say that the forecast shows that the next data point will be here, 
right? So provide that landing spot for them to get there, right? Don't just make them reset entirely. You can transfer that velocity of that person's life. Does that make sense? That absolutely makes sense. And, and I, I mean, I think one of the things that I'm hearing is the theme from you is like this, the idea of giving people a second chance and also the fact that we have this massive talent shortage, but there's people, and it's like, all right, well, how do we get the people to know the skills? And how do you look at like, who should you hire based off of the trajectory of their life and what and they could do? Correct. And I think you can look at it. I mean, I mean, another example might be, let's say they dropped out of the workforce for a while and they got on boards, they got on, you know, they volunteered and they crushed all those things. Well, then why wouldn't they crush it for you when they decide to apply their talents back to your thing? Now, it has to be a two-way sword though, right? Or a two-way street because, yeah. you know, if, if you're going to move, be the first mover, if corporations will be the first mover, take the risk, make the investment, right? The person's got to step up too, right? They got to work hard and probably work extra than the average person, right? Because they're switching careers, right? They're, yeah. They got new stuff to learn. They got new ropes to, to figure out. And it's not for everybody, right? But for, let's say, you know, 80-20 rule, for, for the 8% that, that do, you know, you're, you're going to meet that spot and it's going to be great. And are you implementing this within Creolate with your hiring processes? Are you? I certainly try. And I think if you look at the way that we promote from within, it's, it's the first place I look whenever we have a new role. It's always from within. And I'm always looking to squint my eyes when, when I'm looking at an applicant, especially on our junior roles, right? Like, it's like, oh, well, you know, maybe, or even on the more mid-level you know, roles, like, well, they, they were doing this, and that's not really what we do, but... But there's, there's a lot of similarities and, and just like, this looks like a real high performing person and they want to switch careers into something else. Can we give them that chance? Do we have that runway to, to, to give them that chance? And usually the answer is yes. It's a balance, but yes, I, I absolutely try to do it. I've, I mean, just a second, that thought is I've, I've had a couple of the best people I've ever hired have been people that did not have direct industry experience, but the attitude and the work ethic and like, it was the, vol- the velocity of where they, where they were going. It was like, oh, well, if you can just take that, apply it here, you're going to be fine. <laughs> totally. I hired one of my favorite devs was a recruiter, <laughs> went to a boot camp, right? <laughs> I, I hired them and I was able to, able to keep them here for a good three or four years. And then he just got great new jobs somewhere else. And unfortunately, we weren't growing you know fast enough to, to to align with his ambition, but clearly he was a diamond in a rough, right? We found him yeah. as a recruiter. Turned that's amazing. And I've got a number of other stories like that too. That's, that's great. So shifting gears a little bit, but what are some of the changes that you see happening in the staffing and recruiting industry? Maybe changes you've seen over the last few years or where you think things are going forward in terms of major trends? Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's so, many, well, there's so many changes that, that yeah. I think I've seen. It's funny. I mean, I, I think the big change that everyone's talking about right now is recession right on yeah. the horizon and, and what does that mean well let's dig uh, in there i think when we were talking earlier just on the pre-show we were talking about how like two things one this industry is hyper reactive to the economy like they are in constant reaction to what customers are, are needing right if customers are needing this they're getting that if, if if this is a new hot thing they're figuring that out right if you need a developer with 10 years experience in a two-year-old technology you know, the staffing's all over it. <laughs> they're they're, they're going to go find that person that doesn't exist, right? The, the purple squirrel. And I think that the trend that you're seeing now is with the rise of RPO, right? Which I would argue is really a, a sign of, of the end of a cycle, right? Like that labor is so tight and so, you know, in short supply, companies can't even hire recruiters to go help them <laughs> fill the roles. And so if your firm has recruiters, they'll just hire you, right? I mean, that's basically a talent shortage in the recruiting space itself, yeah. is RPO. But I also think it's 
end of cycle, if that makes sense, right? It feels kind of bubbly. And, and I think right now, if people are watching hashtag, you know, hiring freeze and hashtag layoffs, that we're sort of coming on the end of that cycle. And then it's fascinating. You talked about that, that chart earlier, but one of my favorite exercises that I did, and I, and I actually did this when I was raising money because, you know, I was, I was doing a pitch to angels and they're like, well, you know, isn't the ATS really sensitive to the economy and what happens if we have a recession and blah, blah, blah. And so I did this chart that overlaid the American Staffing Association's staffing index with the Bureau of Labor and Statistics employment index. And if you align the recessions all up, like they trend super close, but staffing always has this overhang of like, let's say a quarter, right? Where it's totally fine. So it's like a wily e. coyote moment, right? And then it crashes it. But what's fascinating is, is that what crashes, like direct might fall off a cliff as people aren't doing, you know, you know hiring freeze, et cetera. But contract doesn't dip as far, right? Because people are still on contract. Companies are shifting their focus. Well, maybe we're not going to go pay that big fee right now. Maybe we're not going to hire someone, but we might do some contractors, right? And so contract falls down too, but never gets as low as employment does. And then they all you know, rebound actually in line with the economy. And so I, mean, I think it's a trend that, that, that we're going to be seeing coming up in, in the near future. Yeah. And when, and when it comes to the recession, I mean, this is a, a hot topic for lots of staff. Agents. I feel like every conversation I have, people are talking about what's, what's going on with the economy right now, where are things heading with the state of staffing. We did a pulse survey last week and asked staffing firms what they've done with their 2022 projections and if they've adjusted them upwards, downwards, or remained the same. And a week ago, as of a week ago, the staffing industry is still really optimistic. <laughs> Mostly the majority had up, adjust, not adjusted or adjusted upwards for the year, despite you know the changes that we're seeing. And I'm, I'm just curious to you know what your kind of take is on where we're at in terms of having a recession and also what you see kind of what you see the, the rest of the year looking like. Okay, so so a few thoughts. One, I forget who did it, but like you know, while the music's playing, like you got to keep dancing. So definitely, yeah. right? And, and the yeah. music's still playing in many industries, right? <laughs> you know, tech might be doing some layoffs here and there, but like, I mean, you got to be dancing while while the music's playing too. I think our industry, it's made up of, op- of optimists, right? If you weren't yeah. an optimist in general, yeah. like what the heck are you doing trying to be starting <laughs> yeah. your own staffing company, yeah. right? So so absolutely. The second one, the funny thing about recessions is, is that the metrics that you are used to look at a recession can't really tell you if you're in a recession until like it's already happened, right? Yeah. And personally, I, I think we're already in a recession. I think we probably entered one in Q2, right, of this year. What's going to happen next? I don't know. How deep is going to be? I don't know. How long is going to be? I don't know. I do know there's been a whole lot of capital brought into the market, that capital flowed through investment firms, et cetera, into businesses that were chasing growth at sort of all costs. That growth required talent and people were hiring left, right, and center. And so it definitely felt a little throffy to me, especially when I, you know, I hear about some of the, you know, the comp packages and and just sort of the crazy, crazy stories that I'm sure your listeners are, are familiar with. If it seemed too good to be true or if it seems unsustainable, that's because it was and because it is. So there'll be some sort of reversion to the mean at some point in time. I saw a chart the other day. I don't remember the exact stats on it, but it was like, it was on Reddit, I think, but it was showing like dev salaries at some of the top software companies and like how much they've increased and seeing like averages of like in the 400s for some roles. That was like just absolutely wild. So. Right. Well, I mean, if there's too much money chasing too few people to go get too, you know, too little growth, yeah. right? Like at, at some point in time, that'll, ha- that'll happen. I, I think, and this is what we talked a little, a little earlier, like one of the <laughs> dirty little secrets, it, it, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see. So a little side hobby of mine is macroeconomics, right? And sort of 
uh, trying to understand large systems, you know, et cetera. And it's interesting, like, so I forget who did the quote, but there was a quote, it was like, like a recession is when your neighbor loses their job, a depression is when you lose yours. And I thought that was very a similar way of thinking about inflation, right? Like inflation's high when a billionaire becomes a multi-billionaire, right? But inflation's too high when random people started getting ridiculous salaries. Now, I'm not saying I disagree with that, but like that is, I think, a sort of a dirty secret at the Fed where they're like, if Bezos becomes a trillionaire one time over, that's not really going to push money into the overall economy and goose demand above supply, you know, too many dollars to do goods, right? But when full employment leaks over and, and wages start going up materially, right, that is when the Fed internally starts to get worried. And that's why we're probably in the middle of a rate cycle, you know, a hike right now, right? Like they are worried about that, which is, it's unfortunate, right? But, you know, we're, we're on the verge of another boom bust cycle right? is what is how it feels. I've watched the investment that's come into the market from software providers to staffing firms over the last few years. I think frothy is the right term for it. One thing you mentioned there is you talked about the, I don't know if you want to dive into this or not, this might be a touchy one, but if you believe in trickle-down economics, because you, you just mentioned that making Bezos a trillionaire isn't going to help the economy. If you have any thoughts around that or if that's a, an area you want to dig into. I think my general thought on that is, I don't know where the term trickle-down economics came from, and I don't know if I'm even a big fan of it. What I am a fan of is a level playing field for people to experience entrepreneurship and to create their better life for themselves, a fair field for that. And that's actually one of the reasons why I like this industry so much. Like, you know, during, and actually another reason why I don't want to go straight up market and abandon the small market. Like I, when I say I want to be like the sales force of talent, like I want to be able to handle one seat deals forever, right? And I also want to be able to handle thousand seat deals, right? And everybody in between. Like, so when COVID hit, business like went off a cliff. Like it was, it was amazing. Right? Yeah, and, absolutely. And like zero, right? Like, but then instant rebound, right? In July. And we, I think we probably onboarded maybe 200 customers that were brand new businesses that just got laid off. And how great <laughs> is it that I can be a platform I can provide enterprise class software to anybody, right? I was a platform for people to go start their new business on, right? Entrepreneurs, right? And so I actually believe that entrepreneurship is really more viable way of growing the pie than quote unquote trickle down economics. I don't know if yeah. that makes sense. Absolutely. That, that does make sense. And one of the things that I, you and I also briefly talked about was some of the kind of recommendations that you have. If we are entering the recession, just kind of different ways that staffing agencies could be thinking about how to approach it what they should be doing to prepare, knowing that things might, there might be a downturn or an inevitable one if you think we're already uh, kind of already there and behind the eight ball on it a little bit. I got a few thoughts. One, I think that you should be looking to take, to take advantage of opportunities that this might bring to you. And let me just give you an example. When everyone and their brother is doing layoff consulting, right, and offering layoff services and you, you know, whatever, that's when it's already too late and we're probably on a rebound, right? So start that now right? Start helping people who are getting laid off now. Be early on that, right? If direct is probably going to slow, except for niches in certain industries, et cetera, you know, maybe boost up your contract game, right? Or, or, or find a way to be more flexible and more responsive to customers, right? You know, you're calling around, oh, we're not hiring right now. Oh, that's great. We, we, don't, we don't do direct placement anyway. We, you know, we only do contract, whatever. Do you have any temporary things you need? Or, you know, get ahead of it, right? Because once everyone's doing it, well, then you're probably on the end of, of, of that cycle. So that's not in terms of sort of growing and surviving. Two, I think the next one would be if a slowdown comes and it is material to your business, use that as an, as an opportunity to look at what you did, what worked, what systems worked, what people worked, what processes worked, what didn't work, and reinvest for the next 
you know, upswing, right? If, if your ATS wasn't working for you, maybe look at another ATS, obviously, but just look at all your systems and tools, right? And I think, you know, depending on how bad things get or lean things get, people will always sort of reevaluate their expenditures and where they're at on that. Yeah, so that, those are some of my, my two advices. Get, get ahead of it and invest for the future. Yeah, and I, I think that makes complete sense, especially being, I think, adaptability in any recession. And we saw that with the, I mean, COVID was just like a hit a wall for a couple months with no, no action at all. And then one thing you've also mentioned, just kind of repurposing the talent pipeline, which we've talked about a little bit here with that transferable velocity, but any other insights or thoughts around how, how to repurpose a talent pipeline or ways that staffing firms could be thinking about it, approaching that? I think maybe the first one, and I, I've talked to a few customers where they were having a hard time filling contract roles because no one wanted contract work. But as soon as there was even a little bit of softening, suddenly people were much more interested in contract work. Does that make sense? And so, yep. right, like not only do you guys, I mean, our customers got to be open to it, but the, 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 the talent has to be open to it. So I think there might be an opportunity there to have some some conversations. The second one would also be, Coaching both sides on what's reasonable and where market is. I've heard from customers that that people have come in with ridiculous expectations. Like they heard some story about that one, you know, that that one person who got that one thing that one time, and they think that that's for them. <laughs> and the recruiter has to sort of like coach them down a little bit and say that was them, and you know, you know et cetera. So I think there's an opportunity there. And then on the reskilling side, I think it depends on, on on who we're talking about. If we're talking about staffing companies or we're talking about direct placement firms. I don't know if I have a, have a great answer. I, I think there's always a, an opportunity to look at at individuals and try to see what you can do to help bridge the gap between them and you know the opportunity. Right? If you can make the story, I know a recruiter right now who there was a role. It's it's kind of a hard role to fill. They got a bunch of candidates that that it's one of these things where it's like the role's too hard to fill, and and so they're basically trying to show that these people can actually solve the majority of that pain point anyway. And like, can we like change the role a little bit to to meet where this market's at, and then have them grow into it? Getting creative, I guess, is what was my my answer. Yeah, no, that makes sense as well. And one thing that just a, a thought that came up while you were talking was that, and you mentioned this a little bit, but like focusing on the laid off talent that's happening right now from these major companies has to be a big opportunity as well for staffing firms. If they're trying to fill other roles, it's like, all right, as layoffs are happening, that's there's might be able to find people to actually fill some roles. <laughs> you, you might just quick thoughts. A lot of them probably got some pretty decent severance packages. So it's yeah. probably not going to be a panacea, right? And yeah. also you and everybody else is thinking the same thing. There's a website, yeah. I think it's a layoffs.fyi and they even have like email addresses. Oh, really? That's... Yeah. It has email addresses and names of these people, right? So definitely, I mean, reach out to them yeah. uh, because they're, they're probably looking. I've seen a couple LinkedIn posts from staffing agency owners who have just like tagged the company that did the layoffs and said, Hey, I know you might be going through a hard time, but don't worry. We've got plenty of opportunity if you're interested, <laughs> just really going after directly. So not, not a super unique idea, but kind of a fun to see people trying to help those people out and help them find, find a job. It's interesting too. I think for the, for the candidates though, I think their expectations might change a little bit too in that like, well, okay, you're funded and, but, but, but what are you burning? Right, like I'm talking about the tech space now, particularly. Yeah, right? yeah. But like, what's your burnout? Because like the companies that are burning north of fifty percent ARR are getting pummeled, right? And like, and if the growth's just not there, the raise won't be there. And you know, these VCs that are sitting on big losses for those firms may not be anxious to put more money in. And so, like, I think an employees need to do a little more due diligence about where they want to land, right? Like, sure, you might go get that great opportunity, make a quick buck, but are you also going to be the first on the chopping block, right? When the time comes. Absolutely. I think that makes sense too. I've been, I think, uh, I mean, I've even heard that just in conversations I've had where it's like people are 
more wary of the burn rate and making sure that you are you have a sustainable business model in place already. One area that I kind of want to dig in with you as well is like you've got a pretty amazing background with building Creolate. You've you know the Microsoft CRM. What are some of the challenges that you've experienced over the years or lessons learned that you've had while building your organization? A lot of entrepreneurs listen to this podcast and are trying to figure out how they can grow and scale their their business. And it feels like you've figured some key things out. But if you could share a little insight on any of the challenges that you've had over the years and or any of the key lessons learned. I think my key lessons, is this a part of your rapid fire questions? I think, I think <laughs> one, of my, one of my key lessons is that I wish I raised capital sooner. All my other businesses were bootstrapped. This one was the first where we raised capital. Raising capital is a forcing function, right? Like it forces you to, to come up with a business plan that's viable enough for you to sell someone else on it. Ideally, someone you don't know, not a friend or you know your parents or whatever, right? It's a super important forcing function. Is it actually a good idea? And if it is, you should be able to sell someone on it and they should be able to write you a check. Even if you don't need the money or don't want the money, you should try. <laughs> I've never really thought about it that way. It's like a, it kind of proves viability of your business. It's, it's people that know what works are willing to bet on you. You've probably got something worth moving forward on. <laughs> and it's a way lower risk than, than like, yeah, I'm going to quit my job and go do it for three yeah, years yeah. And, and like spend all my, all my savings and then figure out where I'm at. Right. Yeah. I, I feel like so many people think entrepreneurship, it's like, well, I have to, I'm going to pick this date, quit and then start. My approach to it has been start it now on the side, get it to be viable and quit one. Once you've already built, rebuilt the revenue <laughs> or, or raise money. Yeah. yeah. Or, or raise money. And actually now, so you brought this up, but we are actually going to jump into the rapid fire questions. Oh. So what advice do you wish you were given before entering the staffing industry or in your case, maybe technology space? Well, I think this is that one, right? It's like raise money sooner. We did a friend's family's founder and fool round. And then we did a, an angel round, you know, and then we did a series A. Try to raise money sooner. It's a valuable forcing function. I also can tell you, if you want to go build an, a- an ATS, there's a lot more work there than you might think. <laughs> I, I can't imagine that. <laughs> the idea of building an ATS. I'm just like, there's so, so many components and so many things to solve for. And then the, the number of use cases as well. Next question is, in the last five years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? This probably relates to managing anxiety. I, I can be an anxious, high-stress person. I'm worried about macro issues like all the time, et cetera. I like to focus on... I like to not sweat the small stuff and focus on, on the result that I'm trying to achieve down the road and aligning people and everything else to go achieve that and not sweat the small stuff, if that makes sense. No, that's great. And what is one of the best or most worthwhile investments you've ever made? Could be an investment of money, time, energy, et cetera. It has to actually be Crelate. This was my biggest and biggest. I mean, I've done some angel investing, you know, here and yeah. there. Crelate is by far my biggest investment. And I think so far it's taken off. <laughs> that's that's awesome. I love that. What are the bad recommendations you hear in your profession or area of expertise? I think anybody trying to sell you one thing that, you know, oh, just do this one thing, right? Just, you know, just yeah, find the your silver just, bullet, the silver yeah, this, bullet. Exactly. You know, just, and, and I think, you know, the listeners are susceptible to this or, or, or certainly hit with this the most is that because starting a business is hard, running your business is hard. And many times this is their first business doing it, their first time doing it, right? And when it's getting hard and you're in the dark corner and someone's got like a flashlight and they're like, hey, here's the thing, you know, just find your niche, just 
just do this, you know, just go to bed at 6 a.m. or, or, or so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, whatever. Get, get a morning routine. You'll solve yeah, well, well, whatever <laughs> it is. I, I don't think there is some one thing, right? So I think you need to look holistically at it because otherwise you'll just be chasing the one thing over and over again. Completely agree on that. I think that coming from a marketing background, that's like one of the areas everybody's like, oh, what's the one marketing thing or one marketing tactic? And it's like, there isn't one. Ever. There isn't one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. These hundred things though will be impactful. <laughs> well, actually to that, I mean, maybe if there is one thing in marketing, it's the ability to fail quickly, right? Yes. Yeah, Giving yourself a, a you platform go. to try a lot of things. Absolutely agree with that. What is the book or books you've given most as a gift and why? It's two books. The one that I've given the most of is uh, Factfulness. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that book. It was like Bill Gates's like number one read. I gave it actually to all my employees in January of 2000, right before COVID hit, because I was again, because I'd spent so much time thinking about macro stuff, I sort of sensed that, that there was this growing animosity towards the world in general. And this book is all about sort of a mindful approach to consuming news and data in a way that most people don't do. So that's the book I, I, I would recommend. In, in the opening sh- section, there, there's a quiz that you can take. If anyone wants to challenge themselves, I, I got nine out of the 13 right. <laughs> and, and if you're re- so... We'll go from there. I'm marking that one down. And I feel like that's maybe based off what you said, that should just be like required reading for like every person it, in this it, country. It, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I think Bill had said it like it was like his number one book he's read like ever. And I'm like Melinda said something out very, very similar. The second book that I've given out a lot is it's called Cynical Theories. It's a pretty academic book. So it talks a lot about academia and sort of history of, it gave me a perspective on a number of macro things that are going on right now that, that I didn't really have that perspective of. And so I, I think it's a good way to understand things. Great recommendations. And how has a failure or apparent failure set you up for later success? I don't know. I, I, I think I'm absolutely okay with failure. Because I always ask this question of everyone I interview. What was your most embarrassing or biggest mistake? And the reason why I ask it is because all humans fail. All humans make mistakes. And if you don't have a good answer or a big one, a big whopper, it usually means that you never took a big enough risk or no one trusted you enough to take on a risk. Right. And that's very telling in and of itself. Yeah. So I don't know if this answers your question, but we fail all the time. We build features that weren't quite right. We build, you know, things that just weren't hit the mark, but we fail quickly. We learn from it. We learn from it and we move forward. Yeah. That's great. And last question I've got for you is uh, what is an unusual habit or absurd thing that you love? Probably roulette. (laughs) <laughs> oh, <laughs> I didn't expect that. That was good. That's great. I mean, I'm, I'm a data guy. I'm generally sort of, you know, and, and, and roulette's got like, it's got the worst odds in the casino, but it's, it's very exciting, et cetera. Yeah, no. So I mean, the last question I just said, if you had any comments or for the audience, any closing comments to share? Closing comment would be, and this is maybe some advice people can, can use, be aware of when you're working in your business or when you're working on your business. The founders and staffing owners are constantly get you got 100 things coming to you at all the time, right? And you can be just consumed by working in the business, the day job, and you're never working on the business. You're never, et cetera. And so in all my past companies, things didn't get better until I said every hour over 40, I'm working on the business, right? My day job is my day job. I got to do it. This is what I got to do to keep the things moving forward. But every hour over 40, I'm working on the business. And then as you scale, you can work on the business more, but be conscious of when you're working in versus on and if the ratio is right for you. This is such great advice. And I've actually just been introduced this year to, you know, Stephen Covey's time management matrix with like working on quadrant two. Have you heard oh, of any of the? I, I have not. It's, it's exactly what you're talking about. And it's basically like identify what type of work you're working on and then make sure that like quadrant two is where 
the it's the important but not urgent work that doesn't okay, that's get the, done. Yeah. So it's basically the it's is exactly what you're talking about. It's like work on the business, things that are going to build it to scale. And it is so easy to get wrapped up in the day-to-day and not spend the time on doing the things that you're going to have to do eventually to move to the next level. You won't even so, realize when you're doing it until it's, yeah. been like a, it's been a few months and you got to bring yourself back, right? What, what was the name of the book again? Stephen Covey's Time Management Matrix. I don't know if, what book it comes from. I've just oh, okay. got the, the Google chart. I saw oh, okay, it over, got, it, got it. Yeah, but it's exactly what you're talking about. It's great, great advice. Aaron, really nice having you on today. Very much enjoyed the conversation and thank you so much. Hope you have a good one. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to The Staffing Show. Don't forget to sign up for our newsletter at staffinghub.com to never miss an episode. Until next time.